Well, good morning, everybody, and want to welcome those of you that not only are at the broadcast location here in Lufkin, but everybody joining us online, 44 different states, six different uh, countries, uh, everybody at the Nacogdoches location, Iglesia Timber Creek joining us back over in the Student Center this week. Uh, so glad to have you, Dieball and Duncan, we love you guys. Uh, we are in week three of a series we've entitled Warrior. And it's all about the armor of God. Ephesians chapter six, the apostle Paul is writing this prison epistle, this letter from prison to the church at Ephesus. And he's putting his final remarks on paper and he wants to encourage this church. And he gives them these words that we've been uh, kind of uh, uh, unpacking week by week. And we'll continue to do so from Mother's Day all the way to Father's Day. Ephesians six, the apostle Paul says it like this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We've said it the last two weeks. It's not about willpower. It's about his power. Willpower is my ability to, to kind of squeeze things down, put the hammer down, bite the bottom lip, pull myself up by the bootstraps, work, 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 work. Try to work for my salvation instead of work from my salvation, working to just honor God in, in a place of, of positional authority that I'm already saved versus trying to earn my salvation. I've got to stand in his mighty power, not my power. When I do that, I'm able to really find his strength when I recognize my strength isn't perfect. Be strong in his mighty power. You gotta put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, the strategies of the enemy. The apostle Paul goes on to give us a list of the different pieces of armor, and if we're not careful, we will begin to try and carve out the armor in our own works and our own understanding and not lean on him uh, instead, and so what we wanna see and we be reminded of is these pieces of armor are not about a, a certain character trait, they're about a certain person. That it's not about the belt of truth, the fact is Jesus is truth, and when I buckle up the truth of who he is and I'm able to walk in 100% grace and 100% truth, then I don't have to be a slave to sin because the truth sets us free, that means that lies enslave us. If you didn't hear last week's message, I think it's a game changer for many of us that are um, un unwittingly and unbeknownst to us living lies every day. Because our lives move in the, the, the direction of our strongest thoughts, what if some of the thoughts you're thinking are actually lies by the enemy or yourself? As a matter of fact, I heard it the other day. I thought this was good for us that, uh, you know, when we talk about spiritual warfare, we talk about like, you know, uh, could there be like demon possession in the spiritual warfare and this like almost superstitious peace? There is a, such a thing as demon possession and that can, can happen. But let me tell you what all of you are possessed with. All of us are human possessed. We have a flesh possession. We're all dealing with humanity and the brokenness and the fallenness, sin nature. We're all human possessed in the house and we gotta deal with these things. We talked about the belt of truth last week. Next week, we're gonna talk about shoes of peace. Today, we're going to drill deeper down into the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Now, all throughout scripture, this idea of righteousness is a key theme from Genesis all the way to Revelation. As a matter of fact, the word righteousness, it's a strong word in the Bible, over 440 times is the word righteousness used all throughout scripture. Now, that may not mean much to you just by hearing that it's a 540-time word, uh, but when you take the word faith, 
faith is actually only used 328 times. And so you can see the depth and the importance, the weightiness of the word righteousness. Unfortunately, even though it's such a heavy weighted word all throughout scripture, sometimes we have a hard time understanding what it really, what it really means. And so when we look at the word of God, we see as we read the word that God is righteous, okay? God is righteous, that the word of God that became flesh is also righteous. Uh, we read in scripture that God loves righteousness. When, 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 when he sees righteousness, he loves it. The Bible says that God rewards those who are righteous. God rewards righteousness in the saints, okay? Okay, so, so I, I'm just telling you right now, if God's word is righteous and God is righteous and he loves it and he rewards it, I think we ought to make sure that we know, we need to know what it really is and how we apply it to our everyday life. One of the most famous pieces of scripture through all the uh, Old and New Testament is the, uh, uh, the, the Psalm 23, and it's all about the, the, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And even in that scripture, it says that he leads me in paths of righteousness. And so there are even steps that I take in righteousness. In the New Testament, in 1 John chapter two, all who practice righteousness are God's true children. If I'm practicing, uh, notice the word is practicing, not perfecting. And I'll get to that after a while. It's not about being perfect, but it is about practicing righteousness. All who practice righteousness are God's true children. Uh, Proverbs 12, righteousness is the road to life and path to immortality. So if righteousness is all these things, like whew, why aren't we pursuing it? Are we pursuing it? How do we pursue it? Is it pursuable? Is it something to impute or impart, something to receive or something to earn? What is this whole thing on righteousness? That's what we're gonna unpack for the rest of the time we have today. So let me give you the working definition for this morning's message. Um, there are, uh, righteousness is a word that can mean multiple different things. In some scripture, uh, the word means uh, like a charity or a generosity. In other words, uh, in other definitions in scripture, uh, it means like um, a purity or an integrity, a wholeness. Um, it, to get us a best understanding of what breastplate of righteousness is all about, this is the definition we're gonna work on today. Basically, here's what righteousness means for you and me. To be presentable, okay? To be presentable like, like a, when, you're, when your child finally cleans the room and they say, ta-da, or, or uh, when the, the doors open in the back of the sanctuary or uh, in, in the back of that beautiful field and the bride comes out and she's dressed in white and it's like, a, it's a, it's like presenting, you know, and the, 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 the uh, chaplain says, would you please stand? And like uh, the bride is presented to the bridegroom, presented to everybody there in in the uh, marriage uh, wedding ceremony, to be presentable. Uh, let's add to that. It's to be presentable or to pass inspection. To be able to look at it in multiple ways, um, check it out, 
and for it to get the check mark, for it to pass inspection and be presentable. Now, being presentable is a big old deal. As a matter of fact, a recurring nightmare that I have. I don't know if you've ever had this nightmare. Uh, maybe it's just me. But a recurring literal nightmare that I have is that I am standing in front of people and I'm either not prepared or not presentable. That I've come up to this very stage and have forgotten to wear my pants. Or I come up to this very stage and I haven't prepared a message and I don't know what to say and I do not, I am not passing inspection and I am not presentable. That is a nightmare. Anybody ever had that nightmare where, where you, you know, you, you're preparing for something but you're not quite prepared or you didn't, you know, you forgot to put your pants on? Like, like maybe that's just me. Okay, fine. But, but that is a tough horror that I deal with and I'll wake up in a cold sweat realizing that I just tried to preach without my jeans. And so I want to be presentable. And you, want to, you may want to write this down in your notes. The desire to be presentable is at the center of our struggles. Righteousness and the desire to be presentable or to pass inspection, believe it or not, is an issue we all deal with a lot. I want you to think back to maybe one of your very first dates. You, you, you like that boy, you like that girl. And, and you, you're gonna go on that first date. So you've prepared and you've set the time. For us, it was March 27th, 1998. Janet and I on our very first date, March 27th, 1998. And, and we uh, preparing a whole week in advance because I asked her out a week earlier and uh, on that day, I got the car cleaned. I, I, I took a shower. I made sure that my shirt didn't smell like last week. I, I, I wanted to get everything just right. I mapped it out. I was living in Waxahachie, 30 miles south of Dallas, drove all the way into Dallas to find the right place we would eat, how long it would take to get there, make sure that, it was, that, that I knew exactly where it was going so I didn't look like a fool. You know, we didn't have GPS back then. And then I knew exactly where we were going to go and hang out over uh, on the river walk there. And we were going to hang out. And there was a picnic table I picked. We were going to go sit at that picnic picnic table and we were going to talk and, 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 and have fun and make out. I mean, I'm kidding. And just talk. We did not make out the first date. <laughs> I promise my, my in-laws are in the building. We did not make out the first date. Second, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. But I wanted to be prepared. I wanted to be presentable. Janet wanted the same thing. She wanted to be presentable. And so when you think about going on your first date, think about this. Um, you want to make sure that, uh, if you don't talk enough, that you wanna have something to talk about. Or maybe you find yourself talking too much that you're gonna kinda of try and maybe pull back on that. Uh, you're gonna cover blemishes. You're gonna look for the right outfit that will enhance the things you want enhanced and that will kinda of disguise the things you want disguised. You're going to do whatever you can to put on a presentation of your best self. Being presentable is absolutely at the center of our struggles because over time, that whole desire to be presentable in our own willpower, you kind of get tired of trying to put on the Ritz for every single moment, every single date. As a matter of fact, it's not sustainable. And what can happen is in romance time, 
You're, you're doing everything perfect. The music is cued. I mean, you name it, opening the door, being all sweet, being all kind, being all, but over time you go from romance to reality and you, 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 you know, you're kind of living with the flaws and you do see the blemishes and, and we're not catching everybody, you know, you're catching them in their sweatpants, not in their awesome outfit, you know? I mean, like it's different, stuff changes and our presentableness shifts. This has been a center of our struggle since the beginning of humanity. We go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The first story, the first humans, God creates the heavens and the earth, makes it perfect. It is a perfect world. He does stars in the heavens, suns and moons, uh, birds in the air and fish in the sea. And for, for several days he creates and then he, he says it's good day one, it's good day two, it's good day three. But then he gets to a point in the days where he makes man and he says, ooh, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he creates a helper and a helpmate and uh, he creates unity and community between Adam and Eve. And in, in this perfect garden, the Bible says they were naked and, and the very next word is so critical, they were naked and unafraid, they were naked and excited, they were naked and um, in love, they were naked, no, here, here's, the, the Bible uses, God uses this word strategically because he's showing us an issue we're gonna deal with for the rest of our lives and that was they were naked and unashamed, completely vulnerable, completely innocent and completely presentable. They did not have to cover anything up. They did not have to put on a front. They did not have to um, play a part. They were naked and unashamed. They knew who God was. And because they knew who God was, they knew who they were. They saw him as creator. They knew they were creation. He was father. They were the children. He was in charge. They were surrendered to his good will. They, they, they were naked and unashamed and completely presentable. In other words, they were completely righteous. And it was beautiful and it was perfect and was the way God intended. And as Adam and Eve there enjoyed the lush garden, they were well-pleasing in the eyes of the only one who really counted that they were loved by the only one whose love would really last forever. That's what we had. That's what they had in the Garden of Eden. The purest of love, the purest of, uh, of, of uh, uh, innocence, the purest uh, uh, of vulnerability. We had it, and guess what? We lost it. We absolutely lost it. Because the enemy comes into that perfect place begins to deal with their heart. As we mentioned last week, the heart is not like the blood pumping organ in the word of God. The heart means the integration of my thoughts, my emotions, and my desires. And the enemy comes in and he begins to, to, to pick at their thoughts, emotions, and desires. And he begins to tempt them with lies that they can be like God, that they can have all of what their flesh wants. They can have all of what their eyes want. They can be as strong as God, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. It's the same old arrows every single time. And sure enough, 
they begin to believe the lies of the enemy and they follow the enemy's advice. They eat the fruit thinking they're gonna be as wise as God and they break this presentableness. They break the righteousness. They sin. They reject the authority of God in their life. And as soon as they sinned, the, the, the moment they sinned, what is one of the very first things they do? They don't cry about it. They don't go find God. They don't go run to God. In fact, they run away from God, which is crazy. People that begin to go to church, get close to God, they invite Jesus to be the center of their life. When things begin to go south, you know what they end up doing? They, they end up um, um, stepping away from church instead of diving into church. But that's what we've done since the, since the garden. As soon as they realized they had sinned, they had to cover themselves. They did not feel like they were presentable anymore to God. They, they were now not unashamed. They were full of shame. They tried to cover themselves. And for the first time, they realized they aren't presentable. They aren't righteous. And it's in that reality of realizing, recognizing, oh, no, we can't stand before God. We gotta go hide from God. Ever since that moment, we have been trying to cover ourselves, hide from God, and trying to make our own selves presentable instead of living in the grace of Jesus and his righteousness that is meant to truly cover us. And that, that shame that was placed in humanity by their own choice, by our own choice as humanity. A shame was inflicted on us deeper than we can really even understand. In fact, the book of Romans chapter one talks about how through our unrighteousness, we suppress the truth. We actually, we almost live in denial because of this shame that was placed on us. We live in this denial that all we need is Jesus that if we place him in the center of our lives and, and we truly lean on him and not our own understanding, if we seek first his kingdom and all his righteousness, instead of trying to make our own presentableness, we try to earn our own righteousness. But instead of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we try to really, really hard. In fact, just, just write it down somewhere in your notes. We try really, really hard to patch up the broken righteousness in our lives. And it becomes a vicious cycle of disappointment and discouragement in the person who tries to cover themselves with fig leaves and present themselves in a way that would look unashamed to us, but God sees right through the fig leaves. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you've done and he still loves you and he wants you to seek his righteousness, not try to patch up your own righteousness. But that's what we do. Scripture says it like this, being ignorant of the righteousness of God. Okay, instead of seeking his righteousness, his being passing inspection, his being presentable, they seek to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. And ever since the garden, we have been seeking to establish our own presentation, our own passing inspection. And we do that in three, in, in a couple of different ways. Uh, you can write it down there in your notes. Uh, here's, here's culture's way. 
to patch up my righteousness. Culture's way, they, they wanna be, everybody wants to be presentable. Whether you know Jesus or not, you wanna be presentable to a certain, to a certain degree. You, you, you want people to see you a certain way. I mean, social media is our own cultural ideology of being presentable. So posting pictures with certain uh, 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 you know, filters, it's all about passing inspection. Culture's way for us to patch up our own righteousness is we do things like this. We do social righteousness. And that's where we try to carry ourselves in a certain way to where we make sure our parents approve of us, that our family uh, looks good at us, that we, we wanna be presentable in our social circles uh, by being um, responsible socially, by um, making sure that if we do something good, we tell people about it, uh, and, you know, post it on Facebook or it really didn't happen. We, we want social righteousness. And, and you know what? Sometimes we even ride the bandwagon. We, whatever, whatever your political party says, you're just gonna socially be righteous because that's your political party you grew up you don't even know why you're red or why you're blue but you just do it that way and uh, you know we just want we want to have a social righteousness okay th th this is the power of people being rude to other people on facebook like in what's happening in whatever county how they'll post pictures of cars that are parked wrong or this idiot did this or they'll put, put poor reviews. It's a way of one star reviews are a way of us trying to have a social righteousness of making sure that we expect things to be presentable. We have a moral righteousness. This is kind of the comparison trap where we start saying, um, you know, I may not be perfect, but at least I didn't do that. Or at least, I'm, at least I do this and this and this. I mean, they don't even do that. I do this. And we have a moral righteousness uh, that we build on our own. We patch up by comparing ourselves to how good or bad someone else is, thinking that that's gonna earn, like, uh, that ain't nothing but fig leaves, boys and girls. Those are just fig leaves. Social media are fig leaves. Moral righteousness, fig leaves. We have relational righteousness, okay? If, if I am loved and accepted, I'm, present, I'm presentable. I pass inspection. Um, if, if they'll tell me they love me, if they'll treat me this way, if I will treat them this way, then I will earn their love back. And there's a relational righteousness that we try to earn in culture, okay? Uh, we, we also have this whole career righteousness, where we labor and we work, and if we can show ourselves approved to those peers, to those supervisors, that we then become the supervisor, we then become the boss, we then become the entrepreneur, we then become that person that we finally earned a certain place to where, uh, you know, we were finally able to make more money than mom and dad, or we were able to live a better life, or we are able to provide our kids with the name brand shoes because we never had the name brand shoes, and we live, unbeknownst to us, trying to cover our own lack of righteousness by culture's way of saying, this is how you present yourself. This is how you should look. This is how you pass inspection. Hmm. So we strive and we thrive. And if I can just be presentable in the eyes of my parents, then I will have arrived. If I can be presentable in the eyes of my children, then I'll really know that God's, God's happy with me. If I can be presentable in the eyes of my peers, then I'll know I'm not a failure. Then, then I'll prove my dad wrong finally. And I'll, I'll finally be able to tell my mom, no, I did make something of myself. And I am presentable. And that's the way culture tries to patch up righteousness. But before we begin to throw rocks at the culture, which we all live in as well, let's talk about religion's way to patch up my righteousness. 
And see, if we're not careful, instead of trying to just follow culture's way, we actually get involved in the church. We hear enough about Jesus to understand that he is the savior of the world. We want to invite him into our lives to be the king of our hearts, but we can inadvertently, even through religious practices, try to put on presentation. We try to put on passing inspection. So, strict living. You, you, you holding a certain standard because these other people, they don't hold that standard. And we're going to live strict, not in my house. And instead of it being from a heart of purity, it's a heart of performance that if I live strict, more strictly, I will earn a covering. I will earn being presentable because I was more strict than my neighbors. If I read God's word, and I pray, and, and if I go from reading for 10 minutes a day to 15 minutes a day, and the more I read and the more I pray, will it, will it affect your life in a positive way? Absolutely. But will reading the Bible and praying every day actually be the kind of righteousness that places you completely presentable into past inspection before God? No. In fact, there's a lot of people that can read the Bible, say, Lord, Lord, but they really don't even know. You can go to Sundays and have Sunday sermons. You, you can, you can pre present yourself with works. I do this and I do that and I went through starting point and I signed up for a dream team and, and now I'm gonna prove that I'm a good person and I, I'm gonna cover myself with a dream team t-shirt and all of a sudden I've earned the spot to stand before God again. And yet all the while, scripture is clear. Scripture is clear. Look at what the author of Hebrews says. There is not one person who can hide or cover their thoughts from God. For nothing that we do remains a secret, nothing. And nothing created is concealed. God knows everything. And as much as you, listen, you start reading the Bible, you start praying more, you're gonna realize that you don't always love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So guess what you're gonna try and do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart mind, soul, and strength more and more and more to the point where you can never be perfect in loving the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You're gonna fall short at some point. And so if you're not careful, the answer to that is not relying on the love of God to fill in the blanks, that you gotta work harder, work harder, work harder, work harder, work harder. And because you know that, that you're never gonna work hard enough. And so scripture says, everything is exposed and defenseless before his eyes to whom we must render an account. And so what do we do? We live stricter. We go to more Sundays. We try to be a good boy, try to be a good girl. And here's, here's what we do. Inadvertently, good Christians, they, they, they swap the importance of the gospel, the good news of Jesus for the bad news of us trying to be the ones that are covering ourselves and making us ourselves presentable. And here's what happens. We maintain a radical insecurity. Always wondering, have I done enough? Is Jesus gonna be okay with me? Oh, I better do more or Jesus won't, Jesus won't forgive me for that. What do we do? We try really, really hard to patch up our righteousness. Back in the Battle of Waterloo, 
a French cavalryman, 23 years old, a dairy farmer, who became a, uh, was in the cavalry there at Waterloo. His name was Antoine Favreau. Um, he put on his own armor, being in the French cavalry, and was fighting at Waterloo and was shot a few different times and survived, but he could not survive. Uh, his his, his uh, breastplate, if you will, was bulletproof. It was bulletproof, but it wasn't cannon-proof. As a matter of fact, this uh, young 23-year-old who died on the battlefield at Waterloo, this is his breastplate. And you can see here in different marks where bullets actually hit those, those, those metal ovals or metal spheres would hit and they were bulletproof, but they weren't cannon proof. And I, I want you to know, this is what your righteousness looks like. When the apostle Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness, he's not talking about something that you can manufacture. It's about Jesus and it's always about Jesus and it's only Jesus because you aren't canon proof. Your righteousness is not, is not uh, spiritually pure. It's only what you can do. So what do you need? You need stronger armor that only comes from Jesus. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. Jesus, who lived perfect, who never sinned, took legally on your debt that you could not pay, your sin that you owed payment for. Scripture goes on to say, so that, now he did this, so that in him we might become the righteousness, the presentableness of God. That because of what Jesus did on the cross, he paid for your covering, your right, you being able to be presentable, to be able to pass inspection. Jesus on the cross didn't go to the cross just to go to the cross. He went to pay. And so here's, here's what's crazy about that. He was not, he did not sin, but he legally took on sin so that you could, without earning it, have his righteousness, because really, legally, you should be the one to pay, but because of what he paid, you get to put on, you get to be presentable in front of God. And when God looks at you, he doesn't see the fig leaves, and he doesn't see the, the regret, and he doesn't see the mistakes. He sees the righteousness, the presentableness of his own son. God sees you through the righteousness of Jesus, not through your faulty breastplate of righteous works and righteous striving. Thank you, Jesus, that he covers us. So how does Jesus, what, what, what's Jesus' way to patch up my righteousness? I want you to get these as we finish today. What, what, what is Jesus' way to patch it up? Where, where is the tension between what Jesus does as far as my righteousness and how do I put on the full armor of God? There's, there's gotta be this tension here because obviously if I'm going to like, um, he leads me in paths of righteousness, that means that I need to walk in paths, I need to do certain things, but like, what is my part and what is his part? Well, here's how Jesus patches up your righteousness. 
I don't develop righteousness and then give it to Jesus as a gift. I don't earn it, I don't strive for it. Jesus develops righteousness and gives it to me. His presenting, his full, fully inspected by his own father, he's developed that righteousness, paid for it and given it to you. Write this down. Jesus doesn't accept me because I had a pretty good week. So, you know, this week you didn't, you didn't look at that thing you ought not look at. You didn't say those words you wish you wouldn't have said. This week, you know, you and your wife, you really didn't get in many fights. Uh, this week, you didn't lose your temper. And so, you know what? Um, Jesus uh, doesn't accept me because I just put a few good weeks together or I had a good week and all of a sudden, I don't feel as guilty. Mm-mm. I had a pretty good week because I know Jesus accepts me whether I had a good week or not that I am accepted by God, I am completely loved and embraced by God. It doesn't mean that he overlooks my sin, but he will wash my sin away. It doesn't mean that I can walk and live however I want, but it means that he doesn't love you any less and doesn't love you any more based on what you could put on or put off, what you could sew together and cover your shame. He, He embraces you and accepts you, and because he accepts you, that means I can't have a good week. Because, man, if God is for me, what could be against me? But here's where the enemy comes in with those lies. The enemy says, okay, he'll go into your own righteousness that you try to earn and try to downplay Jesus' righteousness. And here's what the enemy says. This is sin. The thing that you did, the thing that you're doing, the stuff that you're involved in, this is sin. And the enemy will even tell you. He's not always going to say, oh, that's fine. Sometimes the enemy will say, this is sin. And you know what he'll add to that? This is sin in your life. You better run away from God. You better run away from God. He's going to get you. Guess what the Holy Spirit says? The Holy Spirit says the same thing. The Holy Spirit says, this is sin. But because God doesn't see you through your own righteousness and he sees you through Jesus, the Holy Spirit doesn't say you better run. The Holy Spirit says, this is sin. You better come close. Though your sin be like scarlet, I'll make it white as snow. And when we understand that relationship, that it's not about what we could earn, it's about what he has already done, then I've got to repent or he's going to reject me. And so now it's, it's almost like a, it's always like a, with my head held down, chin to my chest, I'm scared to walk so many of you because I know I'm included in this. You see God, is his arms crossed, waiting for you to screw up your life, waiting for him to say, I told you so. But, and so you walk into his presence with your head downcast and your chin to your chest and you're, you're afraid of, of what he's, if he's gonna see you and what he's gonna think. And if I have to repent, oh, oh man, he might reject me. No, 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 no. I've got to repent because he won't reject me. And I'm able to come in with my head held high, but my hands stained and, and out and says, God, Father, God, I messed up. Instead of saying, oh no, I messed up. I better run away from my father or he's gonna beat me. It's like, oh no, I messed up. I better run to my father because he's gonna help me. That's the kind of righteousness and presentableness we have in Jesus. Look, 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 Look at this scripture. Let this be an encouragement to you. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born The truth is, that's very hard not to feel the love for your child. Scripture goes on to say, but even if it were possible, 
I would not forget you. That the same way a mother holds and nurses that baby. This is the picture of God for you. I won't forget you. I won't stop nurturing you. I won't stop loving you. Come, come close to me. Come close to me. You can, you can run to me. I have written your name on the palms of my hands. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he knows you. That much, that's how much he still loves you, even though you've tried to cover yourself with all kinds of fig leaves. Can I give you good news as well today? That his righteousness that he paid for, it's not that <clears throat> you have to grow up to fit into his righteousness. It, it, it's, it's not that you have to put on a bigger than your size breastplate. His righteousness is one size fits all. Do you know what that means? No matter how deep your sin, no matter how terrible the situation, no matter how many regrets you have, his righteousness doesn't have to work harder for you. You think, oh, man, my grandma was a saint. No, she wasn't. She needed the righteousness of Jesus just as much just as much as the most hard-hearted criminal. It's one size fits all. You don't make it. He has made it possible. So as we conclude today, when do you put on what's already placed on you? If it's what Jesus did, not what you could do, how do you still, how do you still put on the righteousness like a breastplate? How, how do you cover your, your kidneys and your lungs and your bowels, like, like the air, your, your lungs where you're breathing in the presence of God and exhaling the presence of God to other people, your kidneys that kind of deal with the toxicity of, of blood and it brings a purification? How do you put on what's already placed on you? Very simple, just a couple of ways. First, you gotta repeat it and remember it or you'll continue to suppress it, and here's what you gotta remember and repeat, remember and repeat, repeat and remember, repeat and remember. <sighs> My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You cannot build your life on your, you can build your life on righteousness but it'll look like that breastplate with a cannonball ran through it. But your hope is built on nothing less than who Jesus is, what he has done. Remember it, repeat it, remember it, repeat it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So when, when I'm at a place where I'm relying on my record and all of a sudden I start thinking, boy, I've made it. I'm a, I'm a dream team coach. Oh, I've memorized this scripture. I got my credentials. Oh man, I, 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 I'm a deacon. 
Oh, I've been, I'm, I'm in ministry. Oh, I, you know what? I got people following me. My small group is growing like crazy. We're going we're gonna to stop calling it a small group and just start calling it a group because it ain't small anymore. I must be doing some pretty good stuff. And you start relying on your record to think that you've all of a sudden earned some righteousness. When I'm relying on my record, I got to slow down. And remember, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. There's another hymn that says it this way. Lay your deadly doing down. Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. You get in your track record, you get in your doing, all of a sudden you're gonna think it's your fig leaves and it ain't nothing but a fig leaf. It ain't gonna really cover you. Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him and him alone gloriously complete. You don't have to earn it, friend, but you do have to remind yourself and repeat it and chase after that and not let it be suppressed down in there and get back into that work stuff. Final thought, when I'm guilty of sin and my heart says I'm unworthy, every one of us are going to be guilty of sin again. You may have been washed clean, but you're gonna be guilty again where it's your way instead of God's way, where you you want control, whether you... You reject the authority of him, not necessarily blatantly, but inadvertently because you want it your way or you let your emotions get the best of you. You're gonna sin and fall short of the glory of God. And when you do, if you're not careful, your heart, your thoughts, your emotions, your desires are gonna tell you you're not worthy. You better run. He is so mad. And friends, that's the way the enemy would wanna come in like a flood with his schemes of lying to you. So when you're guilty of that sin and your heart says I'm unworthy, you gotta repeat it, you gotta remember it. Another, another phrase from an old hymn, well may the accuser roar and he's gonna roar after you and roar after you and roar after me. He is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and he will devour you not with fangs but with lies in your heart that will eat your heart from the inside out and well may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. He's gonna talk loud about those sins and he's gonna roar through himself and through your own thoughts and through the thoughts of others and other people that are trying to dress you up in their righteousness versus his righteousness. He's gonna, all those sins that I have done but you gotta remember and repeat it. I know them all and thousands more. Don't be afraid that you have sinned. Don't be afraid that you got a lot of issues. I know them and I know there are thousands more and there's probably some sins that I don't even know that I need to just surrender at the feet of Jesus. I know them all and thousands more, but because I'm covered in the righteousness of Jesus, my Jesus remembers none. Because of what he took on the cross and offers to you, would you hunger and thirst for it? Would you put it on and remember it? Take off all these other things you're trying to do Stop trying to cover yourself with man-made fig leaves. Dress yourself in the breastplate of righteousness because Jesus is presentable. Jesus passes inspection. He's the spotless lamb. He is the final authority. He is all we need. He is our shepherd. We don't need anything else. And he will lead us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake.
At all of our locations, would you just close your eyes and pray with me? Right now, as your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed, the truth is you, you're like me and I'm like you. And it's so easy for our eyes not to see the, the true thing, for our eyes to kind of be blinded from what's really, really, really important. Today, you've been trying to strive through culture's righteousness, through religion's righteousness, and Jesus is inviting you to the true, pure righteousness, his his righteousness. First things first, if you've been trying to build your own life, and today you realize, I've been going the wrong direction. Jesus can reverse that in your life today. It's nothing you have to earn. It's freely given. He will wash your sin away today and give you a fresh start and completely cover you in his righteousness today. And if you need that all across our locations, would you just right now just put a hand up in the air and let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you that you're not mad at us. Thank you that you're not waiting for us to earn anything from you. You have a gift for us, freedom and redemption and salvation, covering us, clothing us in your righteousness, your fully passed inspection of holiness. Thank you, Lord. God, we need you in our lives. We wanna replace the lies with the truth of who you are. Jesus, would you come into our life, sit on the throne of our heart, be the final authority. May we live for you. Heads bowed, eyes closed, you're here and your prayer is not one of salvation or rededication, but it is one of recognizing, Jesus, I, I've been running more away than running toward. I, I, maybe I have a, a, a misconstrued or a distorted view of your love for me. And I want to replace those with the truth that I can run to you, that my righteousness, as Isaiah says, is like filthy rags. It's like, it's worth nothing compared to you. And Jesus, if we're in this room in one of our locations watching online, we've been trying to clothe ourselves. We step out behind the tree. We stand vulnerable in front of you again. We want to fully know you because you fully know us and we want to be completely presentable, but we can't do it on our own. Thank you, Jesus, for setting us free from that religious work stuff and giving us a fresh start by covering us with your righteousness. We thank you for these things this morning. We ask all of this be bound to our heart and that we would live it out every day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.